into the Pokes Report podcast. Zach Lancaster here alongside Brian Murphy. Uh, What's up, Dad? It's been a while, huh? What's going on? It has. We had, you know, it's it's kind of one of those where, like, there's no, people had to have been going, really? Bedlam week, OU is the week that they don't preview? We're going to lose this game. I know, right? I have people texting me going, you guys aren't recording? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, about that. Yeah, uh, Zach's, Zach's busy, little, little but light um, update, just a touch. We we had we had one heck of a guest lined up, but you know, little JB just had to, he became a guest of his own into the world. Yeah, he did. You know, we we were so ready to we were just so ready to to record and and we're ready to go. And I'm like, hey man, I need to I need to push it because we're gonna do it Tuesday. And Andrea wakes up Monday of last week and doesn't really feel that good, has headaches and is a little nauseous and, and a little high blood pressure. And, and she's like, you know what? I'm tired. It's been a couple of, a couple of really long weeks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the day off and I'm going to stay home and I'm going to relax. And, you know, she, she's okay. She sleeps a lot and she wakes up Tuesday and kind of the same thing. And so we call the doctor, and, and they're like, you know what, just to be safe, let's go ahead and get you an appointment and, and all this stuff. And her blood pressure was fine at the appointment, but there was some there was some protein uh, numbers that were kind of high and they were a little concerned about. And so uh, had us come back the next day, and her blood pressure was spiked just through the roof. And they're like, listen, we're going to go ahead and admit you. We're a little concerned about this. I mean, this is, you know, it keeps going like this. We're talking stroke and – and seizure and stuff like that. That's bad. We don't, for, we don't need that. Yeah, that's, no. that's bad for everybody. And, uh, and I'm like, damn, dude, they're going to admit her. I got to work tomorrow. Is this like, is this like a one day thing? You know, can they, <laughs> can you guys get this under control pretty quick? And then the doctor's like, and we're going to go ahead and induce. And just for people's, uh, just for people out there, we're talking, we're talking Thursday of last week, yep. which yep. is November 2nd. That's exactly, let's see. One, two, three, four other weeks. <laughs> she was due November 30th. And I looked at that doctor and I said, does that word mean the same in your profession <laughs> as it does in my profession? And she was like, yeah, y'all are going to have a baby. And so we got checked into the hospital and Jackson Blaine Franklin Lancaster was born Saturday, November 4th at 5.10 a.m. Oh, and, uh, yes, sir. It was, it was a long couple of days. And it was uh, kind of a grueling couple of days, and things got a little dicey and a little hairy uh, early, early, early Saturday morning. But he uh, yep. came out six pounds, one ounce. He's 19 inches long, so undersized, obviously, but he's four weeks early. Um, didn't need to be on oxygen, didn't need to be in an incubator, you know, was was just perfectly fine and healthy, a little jaundiced, but what baby isn't? And... Uh, yeah, we we came home Monday, so it was it was a long four or five days in the hospital. But uh, we, when yeah, it was rough. When when Dave Hunziker said at the end of the game, "Best day ever." Oh man, I think he was talking to you. Yeah, I, I mean, you, I don't know, I don't know if I could count. I'd have to go back, and it would probably take me about twenty minutes. Uh, the number of messages and comments that I got from people saying that I should nickname him Ollie. <laughs> or it's the little the good luck bedlam baby and it, it ollie was... bowman lancaster that's <laughs> got a nice ring to you it you know it really does um and so it, but it was it was one of those moments where uh he he came out really fast you know early in the morning it was like three minutes 
uh, and then, you know, he's here, and everything continues to go well, continues to go well. Uh, my folks are there. So just a little background, I was born in Stillwater. Uh, my parents met in the mid to late 80s in Stillwater. Both have multiple degrees from Oklahoma State. My mom is an academic advisor at the business school, and my they've had season tickets for like 15 years, and and uh, we sat there and and with uh, I mean it was it's still kind of surreal to to think about like my son lays here in the crib, and me and my folks watch the last bedlam, and it's Oklahoma State 27-24, and I just it was such it's still hard to really kind of wrap my mind around. Yeah. And it it's still pretty crazy, and and I don't, if I'm being completely honest, I'm kind of winging this show. <laughs> I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, I we. I, I'll tell you this: if you ever have anxiety about watching a bedlam, and you don't have to worry about it for the next ten years or so, but if you ever have anxiety watching a bedlam game, just turn the sound off. Because make it a lot better. Oh, let me tell. I it's I almost didn't pay attention to the game. Now, to be fair, I had a child. <laughs> I had a child laying in the in the hospital room <laughs> with me, but it, it it was like you could just sit there and you could just watch the game, and yeah, I, I'll give my dad a lot of credit. He did not raise his voice above maybe like twenty five decibels. He was he was quiet and and like yes, oh yes, oh, I got to be quiet. I don't want to get kicked oh, yeah. off the floor, and uh, and and it was it, it was it was really it was an incredible game. And when you look at it. Um, you know, they were Oklahoma State was outgained in in passing yards and rushing yards. Uh, they were they were outgained in penalty yards. But when you when you look at the little things, and I know that you can look at you know Oklahoma, they they had almost four hundred or excuse me had almost five hundred yards. So mm-hmm. you can you can really look at some big time plays. You know, however, when you look at some of the little things that Oklahoma State did, they controlled time of possession by almost 15 entire minutes. Uh, they had two sacks. They had five tackles for loss. Uh, they were five of six in the red zone. I, I mean, I or five for eight. I don't understand how that uh, – yeah, they're five – it says five of six in the red zone. I don't understand how yeah, that works. No, we, we missed the one uh, – Yeah, that field goal. We missed goal, that one right. field goal. Um, but, I mean, you look at it, and we, we talked, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, and – and in conversations that that I'd had with some people, and I know you had talked about it, if if Ollie rushes for over 200 yards in this game, I I was fully convinced that he'll be that he would have been in New York. However, when you look at 33 carries for 137 yards and two touchdowns, that's still an incredible performance. Like that's and obviously you know he's what back to back to back to back. Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week. But 33 carries for 137 yards and two touchdowns. And then you look at his receiving yards. I mean, he had one catch for, for 18 yards. 18, yeah, but, but still. Those are, those are like conference-leading type numbers. And yeah. when you're talking about hundred more than 150-plus total yards and two touchdowns being pedestrian, I, I think you're doing all right. Yeah, and, uh, you know, all of that is great but he had one pick Zach I mean you know, you I, you know and I was going to get to that I was going to get to <laughs> I know, that you no, look at uh, Alan me... Bowman so he's 28 of 42 right 334 yards he had a, a quarterback rating of 133.5 Ollie Gordon 
I'm sorry, my man. Negative two hundred. Ooh. Woof. Oof. Yeah, that's that that's rough. So I guess, you know, and it kind of goes back. I I caught a little grief for saying that I want my quarterbacks throwing the ball and I want my running backs running the ball. And this is just further proof to that point, Zach. That that uh, now. Now, what about your quarterbacks? Pr- that, what about your quarterback running the ball for a touchdown? I like it whenever they go for a touch but, and for 13 yards. Um, that that was nice. The 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 play design that they were going to do with um, with Ollie throwing back to Bowman. Bowman was behind him. Bowman was going to throw again. Yeah. Whenever he caught that, that was going to be a pretty cool play. But credit to you for snuffing it out and somebody, one of their defensive linemen, going uh, no. And then for Ollie not just immediately throwing it and giving up a pick six. I mean, you know, he, did he try to do too much? Eh, yeah, but whatever. <laughs> it'll be it'll be okay. And then you know, out of that, we got the uh, we got the Allen Bowman running to the sideline uh, with the little OU hanger on or whoever that guy was in uh, in shorts looked real cute over there, uh, having absolutely nothing to do with the team but um, <laughs> trying to help him by throwing an elbow, uh, into, into Bowman. So, you know, that, that was nice of him to try to keep him out of the communications table, or I don't know what he thought he was doing, but my boy Rashad Owens, what a day, oh, man. 10 catches, 136, and <laughs> somehow drew that pass interference that got, uh, Venables, uh, the, the 30 yard penalties, you know, that was a, that was a Rashad Owens. That was a pass to him that somehow drew that. Now I think it's okay think it's okay for OSU fans to look their OU fans friends in the eye and say you know what you're right that was pass interference in the end zone Mm -hmm. Drake Stoops was pass interfered with because by your admittance of that one they're not going to change the score of the game still one and two OU had two more chances after that or like at least another possession. They finished out the possession they were at still didn't. I think they kicked a field goal. So they scored and then had a whole nother possession in which they didn't make it past the 50. So sorry guys, but yeah, it was, it was a blown call. And I do have um, a good friend who is an sec ref. You're not, um, you're not going to see, anywhere that the big 12 called those refs aside and said, Hey guys, I know that OU is leaving. So if it comes down, like don't do it early. I want you guys to call the game normal early, but if it comes down to it late in the game, don't call stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen. No. And Gundy has Gundy talked about it weeks ago, weeks ago. I don't remember who, who we were playing Kansas state. Maybe. That he said, man, I guess if, um, I mean, he said it from the podium, I guess if they're not going to call pass interference as tight, we need to tell our guys that they can be a little more physical at the point of contact. And it played out again. Yeah. And that's, and, and I remember sitting there uh, in the hospital watching that play and my dad was like, he didn't get it. He didn't get it. And he looked at me and I was like, dude, dude. <laughs> That, yeah, that's one of the most egregious pass interference calls I've you know not called that I you know I think I maybe have ever seen. But here's here's the thing, and if it happened to Oklahoma State, 
or you know what I mean you could you could look at it the other way if OSU loses 27-24 and and you had that pass interference call in the end zone you better believe that OSU fans are going to be up in arms right oh, I mean 100%. If, it, if it happens to any team anywhere however that play right there while it was and I'll agree with OU fans that was a high impact missed call there's no mm-hmm. question I mean if if that's not a pass interference it's probably a touchdown and the, the direction of the game is is flipped automatically. Sure. However, that one mm-hmm. play did not dictate that loss. And as Tom Dorado would say, don't allow the refs to out you know impact <laughs> the outcome. But Brian, I want to ask you a real quick question here because I know you've gone back through and either rewatched the game or you know made notes you know mental notes throughout the sure. game and went back and checked things. There were so many, and I'm not saying like egregious and, and that it that it impacted the game in a negative way, because I I'm I will I'll I'll admit, you know, sans that missed PI call, I've been a fan of of the Big Twelve in general allowing teams to play this season. When's when's the last offensive holding call you can remember? I oh man, um, you know what I mean. It's like, like, are we talking South Alabama? It is. I was gonna forever. say. I was gonna say like South Alabama or. Um, I think we've had. I think we had one. And goodness, maybe it was even in this game. But for before sure, Arizona that, State. Yeah, before that, it has been a long time since. And and you're telling me that Ollie has racked up 1,255 yards without. Yeah. Without the offensive line, like hooking hooking a guy to to open a hole. Like I'm yeah, talking okay. like the the offensive line penalties. We're talking like. Jake Springfield with a couple of ineligible receiver, you know, calls. Sure. Um, there's been a few holds throughout the season, but like you go back to that game on Saturday, and and this is the question I wanted to get to, you know, how many missed calls were there on yeah. both sides? On we're both talking sides. Defensive hold, face mask, offensive holds, offensive pass interferences. Uh, on well, I can think of two different times that Oliver was rushing the quarterback and. He gets hooked, and, and our tackled. whole side of the stands, yeah, our whole side of the stands goes nuts for the for the hold, but it doesn't get called. Yeah, and, uh, and there, so Leon Johnson got tugged. That was, was a like, that tugging. was a big one. There's the uh, Rashad Owens. You know, somehow, you know, he kind of gets tackled and still somehow comes down with the ball, and yeah, and, and there's a face, so, there was a face mask in there, and and I'm the Big Twelve, and I'll just, I I I get the the mindset of it. You know, OU's leaving, you know, they're taking the money, yada, yada, yada. You know, uh, your mark shows up to the Texas game wearing purple, you know, and, and all of a sudden he's in Stillwater and now he's still wearing the same colors. It's not like he, he put on some orange or something. But the Big 12, they're not happy that OU is leaving. They're probably, you know, and, and to to be fair, it is for, for a, a time being, it was detrimental. I mean, when you look at the brand that OU at Texas has, OU is not, or excuse me, Texas has not been successful. They continue to recruit well in football, but the football team hasn't been that successful. Say, so, you know, this year they're they're better than they have been. But when you look at the revenue dollars and that the TV money and the bowl game money and and you know they print their own money down in Austin and it gets funneled back into the conference, that was a big loss. There's no question about it. You know, and and same with OU. And you look at gymnastics. You look at. Um, you look at the the Olympic sports that, that Texas has. Their baseball and basketball is really good. Softball for both teams, obviously Oklahoma. 
Um, so, I mean, the, the Big 12, they're losing two in very incredible athletic teams. There's no question. However, look at the teams that the Big 12 is bringing in. You look at the, the four corner schools. You look at the four... Uh, you look at the four teams that they've already brought in. I don't necessarily think that there's a like an imminent Big 12 expansion on the horizon, but I, I wouldn't rule it out. The Big 12 is better now than they were this time last year. Period. Um, and I and I'll be the first to admit that I was not in. You know, I was not on board for Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado. I, but I, I think when you look at the brand that Colorado is rebuilding, I think that they got a long way to go with the on-the-field product. But you look at the on-the-field, you know, you're, you're, excuse me, you look at the brand that Colorado has built now with, with Prime. Arizona's played better football this year. Arizona State has better athletes. I think they'll be good. You, don't even get me started on Utah. Utah's going to come in day one and compete for a Big 12 championship. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll be in Arlington. I mean, Utah is an incredible football program. I think Houston is greatly going to benefit from being Power 5. UCF is greatly going to benefit. Cincinnati is might take them a little bit longer, but that's a Rust Belt type of big metropolitan area, and I think that Cincinnati is going to benefit. You can't, you can't tell me that the Big 12 is not in a better spot. However, with all that being said, if those refs, long story short, if if the refs got together and said, hey, there's going to be a play at some point in this game, and if it's close, let's let's favor Oklahoma State because it, it. And you can look at this, right? You can you can argue it. I don't think you can make a point, but Oklahoma State four penalties for 29 yards. OU eight for 55. Now 15 of those was on the coach, but mm-hmm. if those guys, if that at a time that they were at a time that OSU was on the like the six, exactly. If if that ever, first of all, I don't think it, it. That's you have you've spent way too much time on message boards, bitching at <laughs> b- bitching at high school recruits, flipping your flipping their commitments to believe that the Big Twelve had it out for OU. But if that ever got out, these guys make pretty decent money. I mean, it's not like mm-hmm. it's not like Major League Baseball umpires making a hundred plus thousand dollars a year, but these guys make pretty good money. And when you look at some of these guys that make it up to the NFL. If that ever got out, these guys like they'd be able to they'd be able to ref high school football in Oklahoma because there's a dire shortage. But that'd be it. Like they couldn't get a job. Even, in, they couldn't get a job in the MAC. They couldn't get a job in the MEAC no. or the Sun Belt. You know, no offense yeah. to those. No, you're done. Yeah, that, that's the most asinine argument. Now, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and and say that you know, that there weren't missed calls, but it wasn't, it wasn't because OU's leaving the big 12. It's that's stupid. No, I agree. Hey, uh, one, one question I want to ask you. Absolutely. What fire away. Is this, yes. Is this, was this the biggest win of Gundy's career? Yeah. So we talked about that the other day and I'm so glad you brought that up because it allowed me some time to kind of think about this. And I don't know. I don't know if you can definitively look at this game. I don't let me rephrase that. I don't know if you could def, like take a definitive look at any game and say bar none hands down this one game right here was the largest win because I think there's different parameters. 
I think you mm-hmm. can look at one, two, three, four. I there there's a handful of games you can look at, right? I I think that when you talk about emotion, when you talk about now, this week against UCF that we're going to talk about here momentarily, I think this game plays a massive role in deciding whether or not Bedlam was one of the biggest wins of his career. Now, OSU fans will look at this win and say, yes, absolutely. It, it doesn't matter. But I think when you talk about in terms of emotion, when you talk about, and and OU fans have, have done it, and they have every right to do so, and, and they'll continue to do so, bring up the all-time record, what it, whatever it is, 91 and 20. I See, I don't know what it is because I, I'm not a psychopath. But um, I think when you talk about in terms of emotion and in terms of the history, in terms of, you know, Mike Gundy being in Oklahoma State since the mid-'80s, when you talk about all of these assistant coaches that have been here for 10-plus years, when you talk about the fan base, both new and old, you talk about people like Larry Reese and Tom Dorado and and the plethora of other people that set through O ten and one, you know. You talk about the the heartbreak and the the the, sh- the coming up short, the two thousand eighteen, you know what what could have been an incredible game. Like if if Oklahoma State wins in two thousand eighteen, Taylor Cornelius is one of the like. There's no discussion of whether or not Corn Dog is one of the best in OSU history. Like he's cemented. He doesn't have to buy a drink again, and. So I think when you look at the history of everything, I think you could make a very real argument that, yes, this was one of, if not the biggest emotional wins under under Mike Gundy or Oklahoma State history, for sure. I think you here's, could- why, here's why I'm going to support your emotionally, yes. After that game, I was, I was in 224B. Mm-hmm. The field, the, the, if you weren't on the field, and you were still in the stands. I'm telling you right now, if, if anybody was listening, whoever's listening that was still in the stands, if you looked left through your own teary eyes and looked right through your own teary eyes, everybody that was in the stands had tears coming down their eyes. And, and you know, it, it, it meant that much to send this one out because to send this one out on a, on a win. And I don't think it's because like fans didn't think it could be done. Yeah, you were seven point underdogs, but whatever. It it's just because it always bounces OU's way whenever it has to. And this time, you know, you can use the phrase "you slayed the dragon," you, uh, you know, did what you had to do, everything that they had to do. The so many prayers were being sent up, you know, out of that stadium. God had to have been going, "Hey, guys, 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 it's the game, come on." But fine, okay, we'll let you win. But it was it was so impactful from an emotional level that I think that that yes, this was the the biggest win emotionally of Gundy's career. Yeah, absolutely. And do you what about on the field? I don't think so. Um, now, hell of a performance. All kind of a to be seen. Because let's That's just true. let's just run the table. Let's say. These next three, you win all three, and let's just say you'll win the Big Twelve Championship. It it happened because of beating OU. Uh, yeah, that's fair. But I I also think though that you could look at the fact that you beat Kansas State, Kansas. You know, it held Kansas. That game may be a bigger. That may be a better win on the field. 
Um, now, yeah. OU's number nine, and, and I'm not saying that the win over OU wasn't good on the field because you put up almost 500 yards. This time last year, you're, you're, you're killing for 275 yards. All right, or you go back, you know, you go forward a week or two weeks, and it's like, oh, my God, like, please, please just throw for 200 yards. You know, please, please just, please, for the love of God, rush for three and a half yards a carry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> right. So the, the jump up is ridiculous, right? It's, it's incredible. Yeah. But I, I think you could look at the win over Kansas State, and that was, that was such an, uh, a refreshing breath of fresh air, you know, kind of, I mean, I, I understand it's kind of oxymoronic, but the opening drive, you know, how, how far that went, how long that went, you talk about the play calls, you talk about being rejuvenated. Mm-hmm. The defense was incredible. You talk about uh, what they did against Kansas and that was a tight game. And that was a really good Kansas team who beat OU in Lawrence. You want to talk about going up against one of the better rush uh, rush defenses and not just the Big 12, but in the country with Cincinnati and, and what they, you know, I was almost 300 yards on the ground. West Virginia, uh, not a great football team, but a pretty pretty decent defense and what you did to them. So, I mean, this was an incredible win, and it was just another notch, but you had to beat Kansas State and Kansas and, and West Virginia and Cincinnati. I mean, it was such an incredible uh, this this turn after South Alabama was so incredible. But when I talk about, you know, when I when I think about on the field, I think I can go back to 21 and look at obviously Bedlam in 21. That sure of of all the games that I've seen in person or on TV, I think Bedlam of 21. When you talk about that offensive performance and when you talk about that defensive performance. I don't know if I had seen a more convincing game. And I think when you look at that game, you look at Texas that same year, the uh, you want to talk about the, the interception, uh, the, the pick six by Jason Taylor. Um, honestly, as kind of paltry as that game was, you were in person for it, the, the Boise State win. I think that was a that was a defining game for for this program. I and and I would be remiss to say to not say uh, Notre Dame. When when I think all time win, I mean, yeah, you can go back to Stanford in 2012. You can talk about Bedlam. 11. You can talk about yeah. Yep. The, well, the the game was played in 12, but the yeah the 2011 season. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about the win over Oklahoma that year. Um, the dominant performance, the comeback over A and M, you know, you talk about the the last couple of wins over Nebraska. There's been some incredible wins, but when when you look at Notre Dame, now you could argue, well, their coach had left, and you've got a, a seasoned coach and or a, a, a rookie coach, and you've got a you got a lot of new guys and some NFL talent had declared for the draft and yada yada yada. But we're talking New Year's Six Bowl, we're talking top three all-time program in college football history, one of the most recognizable brands in all of American sport, and the largest comeback in program history, and, and you beat them the way you did in the second half, I I could make the argument that that's the biggest win in Gundy's career. But I, I think that this is, this is kind of a semantics argument. because Oh, in, I agree. 
you could you could present stats and and but emotion will always play into it and and I think I think this game right here for from the fan standpoint from the emotion standpoint for you know the the video of of Mike standing in the locker room talking about Jimmy Johnson who that's a can of not even a can of worms but like that's that's a topic that we probably don't need to get into because it'll take forever but I got a photo from Robert of of Gundy, Pat Jones, and Jimmy Johnson on in the sweet level. And I was like, you yep. know, that's a that's a trio of guys I don't think I ever expected to be together again. And I'm so glad that they brought that team back and that Jimmy Johnson came back. But you got Mike standing in the locker room and he's talking about, you know, Hall of Famer, you know, Jimmy Johnson used to coach here and he went on to, you know, coach Dallas and, and that so on and so so on and so forth. And and you know, he also said, How about them cowboy? you know, and <laughs> and, and you've got Cam Sit Cam Smith sitting in his locker smoking a stogie, um, emotionally. Yeah, I think you could make the argument that this was the biggest win of Gundy's career. Yeah, I think that uh, I agree with you on twenty one Notre Dame. Uh, I think that if you do the exact same bowl, but back in twenty eleven, that was the Stanford game. I think was, I think was the biggest of his career. You just came off. I'm I'm gonna say that this is a family show, whooping OU's butt like you should have that year. Them, yeah, I mean, came out, that was after after Iowa State. You had to come back around, and your team was you know you're disappointed. You're going, uh, you know, we are out of the national championship. What? Oh wait, well we're only number three, so if we smoke OU, hopefully that'll you know show everybody that hey we're still we're still here and we're still a team to beat. Blah blah blah. And then you don't make it. The cow, the cowboy fans boycott ESPN for a few years, and then um, you have to come around and get your team ready to play Stanford, who had Andrew Luck, and you had NFL teams that were that were doing hashtag suck for luck. I mean, you know, they were trying yeah. to get him as the number one pick, and the Colts ultimately did, but that coming out and winning that game to me was, was the one that, especially how they did it. I mean, yeah, you had Whedon and Blackman, you had the horses to win it, you know, in 21 goodness. I mean, Zach, if we're talking about, all right, who would you rather go into a game with Whedon Blackman and those Randall and those guys or Spencer Sanders, Tay Martin and was and Jalen Warren. Yeah. I mean, give me Whedon and Blackman and them all day. Yes. They had the horses to do it. But that was our first time in Gundy's career on that stage, yeah. you know, and, and I, I, so that would be my answer. But I think we both agree on emotionally this was the biggest one of his career. But as he says from the podium, that love affair with Gundy and, and Casey Dunn and um, Brian Nardo, that only lasts until this week with, yeah. <laughs> with Central Florida. You go down there and lay an egg. Uh, Kansas State style after after uh, Texas big emotional win last year the fans are going to go yeah and that that OU win was cool but you just got beat by an inferior team who they are having their space game okay so yeah, yeah they're undefeated pe- <laughs> people who yeah people who don't know what the space game is uh, UCF has an enrollment of somewhere north of 80,000 people and they have a massive as you can probably imagine being uh, ne- down there next to Cape Canaveral and, and NASA and, you know, their, their Florida wing of NASA, they have a huge space program that uh, they honor 
because it's unique to them. They honor that uh, one game a year. They come out with their special uniforms. This year they're going to be, they are pretty sweet looking. I ain't going to lie. The, the baby blues, a mm-hmm. uh, little powder blues. I think they, what do they call them? Uh, cat, uh, Canaveral blue or something like that. And uh, so and they call the stadium the bounce house. Because when the stands get, when the stands, uh, when the students and the fans get to jumping around for, and I'm pretty sure it's jump around that song, the stadium actually shakes, um, Texas A&M style. So the, the boys that just got done with, you know, being out on the strip all night. And I, I have multiple pictures of lots of football players out on the strip. Uh, that night, you know, celebrating with the fans as they should. Yeah, good for them. When you're in college, but uh, they are, it's 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 back to business. You have to. We're going to find out just how mature this team is this week if yeah. they can put all that behind them and go and take care of business. Which, I mean, if Kansas and Kansas State can run for almost 700 yards and 12 touchdowns combined between the two against UCF. Ollie Gordon should have a nice day. Yeah, I you th- ought to be able to control the clock again. Yeah, I think that when you you know obviously this game is was a hell of a lot more emotional than any other game they've had this year. You know, you throw the fans on this on the crowd on the on the field, and Ollie's been uh, you know interviewed by ESPN. Bowman's been interviewed by ESPN Radio, I think, and there's there's been so much you know hoopla around it. They're in I think fifteenth in the the CFP. And uh, it, there's no question. However, when I look at this team, the win over Kansas State was pretty big. The win over Kansas was pretty big. Uh, Cincy, West Virginia, you know, the quote-unquote revenge tour. And this team is – there have been moments, you know, there have been some big plays given up. Uh, you know, you look at – I mean, Gavin Sawchuk, 64-yard rush, you know, against, uh, you know, this past this past weekend. So the big play is always still a threat to this defense. But – for the most part, this team has really kind of been able to hold it together emotionally, and they're a mature team, even some of the younger guys, because we've talked about it all year. Those guys had to play a lot of football last year. They had to grow up really fast, and I think that, I mean, there is there is a reason that UCF is 4-5. and five. I'm there. Yep. I think they'll be a good football team in the Big 12. I think that Florida is a hell of a market, and now that you're Power 5, um, I don't. Do they get back to the Peach Bowl type of good? I mean, that was kind of a generational team, possibly. But Kansas and Kansas State, like you just said, six hundred plus yards, twelve touchdowns, and they don't have Ollie Gordon. And when you look at this, <laughs> they do not. When you look at this offensive line, and and I, I really, I mean, Ollie Gordon is incredible. I mean, I, have did you see the? And I'm not, I'm not going to make this comparison. I'm not going to sit here and say that Ollie Gordon is going to win the Heisman as a running back, but have you seen the have you seen the comparison between yeah. him and Derrick Henry? That the stats through nine yep, games, they're right, they're yeah. right there alongside each other. Yeah, You're right. th- through not, and I don't know if a running back is ever going to win the Heisman Trophy again. However, see, I think I think I think Ollie has has, and I'm going to. This is very early, but I'm going to put this put this out there of why I think he could. He is he is a he's the marketable running back. He's not just the next Alabama guy. You know, after I think it was after was it Derrick Henry that was the first one and or Richardson that was the first one. I think it was Richardson. What, whatever Richardson his name and was. Then, and then yeah, and then Derrick Henry. So Trent, yeah, I think so it was Trent Richardson, I think. Trent Richardson. 
after Derrick Henry, you didn't have another marketable. It was just like they Alabama just kind of did what they did. I mean, they just dominated people. Yeah, and I think you know you look at you look at uh, like uh, when Chuba rushed for over two thousand yards. Yeah. If if that had happened on the twenty twenty one team, Chuba wins the Chuba probably wins the Heisman Trophy, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you have now if that's the thing with Oklahoma State with Ollie, I I would tend to like I don't know. I, I don't know if a running back wins the Heisman Trophy again simply because it's such a quarterback-driven, you know, league. But when you look at Derrick Henry and Ollie Gordon, right, I mean, Ollie 174 carries to Derrick Henry 218 carries. This is through nine games, and Ollie has, what, 30 less yards? You know, I mean, it. if Ollie continues this, if he continues to rush for 130-plus yards a game, you know, sprinkle in another 200-plus yard game with two to three touchdowns per, and you win out, he'll be in New York. Oh, yeah. Now, whether he wins and it or not, gonna, he'll be in New York. And at some point, you know how social you know how social media goes. You know how the media cycle goes. At a certain point, somebody is going to have the numbers to support. Ma- national media people start going, hey, should we – should we look at running backs again? I think we should probably go back to the looking at running backs as yeah. a as a viable option for this because running backs are people too, Zach. They, they need, are. I don't know that anybody's going to get the the love that Orlando Pace got uh, as an offensive lineman going to, uh, but you know who I guarantee you, if Ollie goes to New York, I guarantee you seven offensive linemen are going with him. Oh, that dude sure. gives more credit to the offensive line than I've heard a running back do since Emmitt Smith. Yeah, and and that's so. And I and, and and I think that more people outside of Ollie, and and I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, but more people outside of Ollie need to give this offensive line credit because when you go back to last year, people are calling and the Pokes Report podcast for changing the run scheme because that's that's we right. Know we'll that, take we know that they listen. We'll take credit for that. We'll take credit for Ollie. Um, you know, oh, I, and Bowman being Bowman being the starter, pick one. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you look at, I mean, you go back to last year, and we're talking about people needing to get fired. And I'm not saying that, <laughs> yeah. and, I'm, and I'm not saying that 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 wasn't a bad season, right? I mean, whoa, 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 whoa. we weren't talking. Oh about no, people. I'm specific just, people, just people need to be fired. Yeah, correct, yeah, yeah, correct. Okay. And, and I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not. You know, I'm not subtweeting here. I'm not throwing anybody no, under no, the bus no. or throwing shade. But when you go back to last year, I mean, there were a lot of people, uh, fans and media member alike, you know, well, this, you know, I'm not going to say a name, but this guy needs to be fired. Uh, this guy needs to be fired, yada, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And honestly, you could go back to 21, and it wasn't the greatest running, uh, uh, excuse me, offensive line that we had seen. Danny Gidlewski was really good. Josh Sills was really good. I mean, you can look at individuals and say, Okay, those guys had had decent seasons, but Jalen Warren, what like was seventy five percent of that, you know, if if not more, Ollie probably doesn't do what he's doing under a, you know behind a bad offensive line. However, Ollie Ollie makes a lot of this after you know after the the, the contact you know. However, this offensive line. Week in and week out, I'm continually surprised. And I don't want to say that bad because I thought this line would be bad. But, I mean, 
you go back from but last they, year. They were playing bad. It was it was not pretty the first three games. It, we it we talked about that ad nauseum then. Kind of, and this, you know, just caught a little off-air heat for some of our criticism. But I'm sorry, but if it they was were sitting in front of us, we would go, guys, this, this ain't great. It was, and they, mean, and they knew it. And if other than other than Cooper and, and getting Cole Birmingham back, it's the same line as last year. And so when you go into this year and it's pretty much the same guys and you're like, oh, I don't know how much better it's going to be. And then you see the first three games and it's like, oh, I don't know about this. And then and then they figure it out. Iowa State, pretty solid yep. game. Kansas State, a really solid game. Kansas, a really solid game. Uh, West Virginia, Cincinnati. I, that Cincinnati was a, in a hell of a performance. It was incredible. One of the one of the better run defenses in the country, and and all of a sudden, you know, Ollie's rushing for almost three hundred yards, and that offensive line played a hell of a game, and 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 Ollie, I the the nil money he makes, and the money that Oklahoma State is making off this, I'm with you, dude. If if Ollie makes it to New York, at the very least, that starting five is going to be with him. Yeah, we also also need to speaking of uh, you know huge turnarounds. We got to give a lot of love here to Xavier Benson. Yes, oh and my what gosh. what what a difference! Talk about the player now winning the defensive player of the week to just oh one one year ago about almost today one year ago was uh, him chasing Kansas State all over the field, not having a clue what his assignment was, about to quit. Uh, you know, this and that. Yeah. What a turnaround. No question. And that's something Mike talked about as well. I mean, physically, mentally, uh, he's a, he's Xavier Vincent's a different person. Uh, he's a different person. He's a different athlete. And I think that, you know, the season he is having, the fact that you can couple that with, uh, with Nick Martin. I, who? The, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Uh, the missile. The missile. Man, what a lovely nickname what a lovely, for a guy. But that that was and, and the fact that they have now moved Colin Oliver to where he really needs to be now, they'll still drop him back every now and then. But when you when you talk about linebackers, you know, spearheaded by Xavier Benson, the performance that he had against Oklahoma was was really solid. The performance he's had the last couple of weeks has been really, really good. Um I don't know. I really, I mean, Ollie is in, is so impressive, and and there's a few other guys that you can look at and say, damn, all right, that was a hell of a game, man. You had a, you had a, you know, Dylan Smith is having a really solid season. Cam Epps, you know, uh, DJ McKinney, Cam Smith, hell, Alan Bowman had a tackle on on Saturday. <laughs> I, you can look at a lot of defensive players. Did you, did you see the tw- the, I did. the tweet I did. that said Alan Bowman had as many solo tackles <laughs> as Trace Ford? <laughs> Oh, hey, man. but you know, Alan Bowman did not get pancake. Trace Ford did. So, I'll, and I'll say this: I, you know, I we talked about this, you know, before before we get out of here. You and I we talked about this the other day uh, on the phone, and and I I like Trace a lot. I covered him in high school, and and I sure. you know, obviously covered him here in Stillwater. And and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into this. You know, he said, they said, um, all that. You know, the the bulletin board fodder and all this stuff. But I will say it it did really surprise it did surprise me the fact that you and this would this could be anywhere, right? I mean it could be any Big Twelve school, it could be any program, any player from a program transferring in conference 
or uh, like an A&M player transfer into Texas or vice versa, and those two teams are going to meet on the field. To think that, and and here's there was a big get for Oklahoma State, land and Trace Ford. Oh yeah, and, yeah it was. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to stay healthy down the stretch, you know, of his career. But when you look at the first two years that he had, I mean, we're talking Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year, you know, not just like freshman, but like Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year type. If yes. if he's able to stay healthy, if he doesn't blow his knee out of Baylor. That yep. next season, I mean, my goodness. And then, unfortunately, it happened again, and then you had the non-contact at KU last year, and, and it just kind of derailed. But any player, to think that you, you're going to transfer out, that's fine. You go and be great. I, you know, I appreciate everything Trace did. I think he graduated, so it's – I mean, he fulfilled his commitment. But sure. to transfer in conference, let alone in-state, let alone the biggest rival uh, of your program, and to think that the head coach and or position coaches are going to hug you and love on you and talk to you and and be okay with that happening, and then to be upset that that happened, that that's what I found kind of baffling, because yes, sure. oh, he, he yeah. had good numbers here, and and there were there were a couple of coaches that went up to him after the game, and obviously a lot of players dapped him up, but. To be upset that the head coach and other player, other coaches don't want to talk to you and that aren't happy or supportive of your decision to transfer in conference, in state to the biggest rival, that that's the disconnect for me. Mm-hmm. And that could be any program, not just not this trace situation, but that's the to me that was kind of like you can't be upset that they aren't happy or they weren't happy or that they don't want to talk to you. That's kind of a no, diff- it's kind sh- of a different situation. Different, different topic for a different day. I want to hit on UCF whenever, Absolutely. whenever we get well. Whenever, whenever I get finished, I really wish that I'm, I'm good with transfer portal. Like I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, nil, fine. I really think that, especially as we go to these mega conferences, that they, they, in my opinion, need to bring back the you can transfer within conference. Go ahead. You want to go from OSU to OU or OSU to any of the new Big Twelves. You want to go to Colorado? Hey, man, go for it. You have to sit a year, though. Yeah. Like, there, there has to – because if you can't – if you have that, you're going to nip uh, recruiting off of other rosters in the bud real quick. Colorado's not going to come hollering at uh, Nick Martin. Let's just – I'm not saying he is. Right. They are. But there, there's no th- – there's very little threat of a guy like – especially once, once they get to their junior year they're not at least transferring to your conference rival. They're yeah. not going to just go from OSU to Cincinnati because they'd have to sit a year. Well, there went your senior year. Well, and, you've and, you mentioned, and you mentioned junior and, and I don't want to dig into this too deeply because it's, you know, we got to get to UCF, but I think the decision that the NFL or the NCAA or whoever the powers to be uh, came up with it. I think it was announced today or yesterday that now uh, draft eligible draft eligible juniors are not are now allowed to play in the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl and and you know the collegiate NFLPA game. I think that's huge. I think now that you know because before you had you know dozens and dozens of juniors that were like you know what or or third year players that are of a certain age saying I I love this school but I'm going to go make some money in the NFL not being able to play in the in those games are like, you know what, 
I may not be able to play in the Reese's Bowl, but I'm playing at school A, and I can get a hell of a lot more exposure at school B. So I'm going to transfer mm-hmm. as a redshirt junior or as a senior or as a grad transfer or whatever it might be, and I'm going to go play that one year and then play in the Senior Bowl. The fact I th- I think that you see now that that juniors are allowed to play in that, and it won't it won't stop everything because money talks. But I do think you will see less juniors transfer to those exposure programs for their senior year if they're getting invited to these these player bowls. Well, I hope so because I, I think there still needs to be in college it, for for some coaches' sanity. There needs to be some some level of you go to that school and they can train they can train you in the training room or in the in the weight room. They can they can make you go from this three star like we've gotten so good at doing signing all these three stars and then by the time that they are a starter they're a four or a five star player yeah exactly. and 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 that's what i think we're missing out on hey one of the things scrolling through ucf's yes, roster please. real quick this is this is interesting that i did not i wouldn't have thought about this we talked about it with south alabama that okay they're they're a little bit of a lower tier school but the thing that we kept hearing was all the SEC transfers that they get. That is very prevalent with UCF's uh, Central Florida's roster mm-hmm. as well. Javon Baker, their leading Javon Baker and Kobe Hudson, their two leading wide receivers. Uh, Baker from Alabama, Hudson from Auburn. Both were four-star recruits, both seniors. So you're going against uh, their one of their defensive tackles. From Auburn, six four three twenty, you know, and that's the type of guy kid from Mobile, Alabama. That's the type of guy that Gundy talks about. Down in that area, you can just throw a rock and hit a three hundred pound <laughs> defensive yeah. tackle yeah. just just anywhere down there. Uh, you know, Mark Anthony Richards, another uh, redshirt senior, his uh, running back from Auburn, defensive back from Clemson, defensive back or I'm sorry, running back from Virginia. Their quarterback, John Reese Plumley, yeah, Ole Miss, uh, another wide receiver, Kentucky. So until you get to number thirteen on their on their on their roster, they have more transfers from from SEC schools than they do guys that they recruited straight out of high school that came there or lower than SEC. So yeah, they're they're four and five. Yeah, they're a smaller school. Yeah, they have, you know, figured out a way to lose what they lost five straight in a row. Mm-hmm. This is your, you've got to be careful with a team like this. I mean, we talked about the bounce house and the, the, the game, the, the space game. You know, they are six and oh in their space game. This is the biggest opponent that has ever walked into that stadium. That's what they're putting out. Yeah. They've never had somebody top 15 or higher. So that, <laughs> They're going to be ready. Malzahn knows how to coach offense. They're going to move the ball. This is going to be that ultimate, to me, that ultimate bend but don't break. I agree. You, they they are going to get some yards, um, but they, you can't let them, you cannot let them get behind you, and you can't get behind early in the game. Their offense is good enough that they can control the time of possession like we did against OU. Yeah, and they're they are a good team. They're uh, I mean, they're 4 and 5, but they're they are a very uh, talented offense. They're explosive. Uh this is a solid offense that Oklahoma State is going to have to be on their P's and Q's for. And this is a game that we talked we go back uh I don't remember what episode it was, but it was before the season started 
you know, if, if OSU beats Oklahoma in Bedlam, this is going to be a tough – I mean, I think it would have been a tough game yep. either way, but this is going to be a tough game. This this could be a sneaky game, and I, I think that I, – I but I don't think that OSU is overlooking them. I, I don't think that – No. When you look at the, the next three, it's not um, – you know, it, it's not this uh, – yeah, Texas is not next. Yeah. No, there's no juggernaut. You know, there's no traditional Big Twelve school. And I, and oh, this team is mature enough. This team is is old enough, and even the younger players are old enough to realize what's at stake. You're number fifteen in the country in the in the poll that matters. You are now tied for first in the Big Twelve. You have three games left on your regular season. You are you are seven and two. You just beat number nine Oklahoma at home. If you win out, you're in Arlington. If you win out, honestly, Brian, I mean, there's a lot to go on ahead of these teams, a lot of teams ahead of Oklahoma State and a lot of really solid games coming up. Oklahoma State's 15 right now. They don't have the best schedule, but if they win out and they continue to play the way they have, they're putting up 400 to 500 yards of total offense. Ollie Gordon, 150 to 250 of those yards. I really don't think... When Oklahoma State roll, if if they win out and Oklahoma State goes into Arlington, they're talking about okay. If this team wins in the Big Twelve Championship game, this is this is going back to twenty twenty one. If OSU beats Baylor in the Big Twelve Championship game, personally, I still don't think they would have got in. But if Oklahoma State wins out and they do so convincingly and they win in Arlington, we're talking potential playoff team here. So. I, I think this team knows what's at stake. I'm not putting pressure on them. I'm just saying that they know what's at stake. I don't think that they're going to be overlooking teams. I think it'll be a tough game on Saturday, but I think that this team is up to the task, and it should be a fun game to watch. I agree, and I, I can't wait to watch it. I I think that I think we win this. Oh gosh, I'm saying this, and and before the season, I picked I picked this to go two and two, and then five win five straight, and then I picked this to lose this one. But dude, the way the way that we have, whenever me you, I'm saying whenever me you and John uh, did our picks, oh man, this one's gonna be tough. I th- I think uh, you know what I'm gonna say. We win 27 to 26. I don't know how they're scoring 26. But they're going to score twenty six. I I could see this being a forty five to mm. thirty six. You mm. know, so I I think that I think OSU Old is big pl- twelve. Yeah, I, I think OSU is playing really well. I think this is going to be an offensive game. Not that OSU's defense is going to play bad, but this just kind of has a a kind of a shootout type of feel. Um, could be wrong. I thought I I didn't know. Bedlam was going to be 27-24. Could have been a shootout game there. Um, but Fourth could, time this year that OSU has finished the game with 27 points, I'm just saying. Yeah, and, Fourth and, time. and I, I think there's some merit there, and I also could see OSU going out there and winning like, you know, 45-21. to 21. You know, I, I could see this team, because they've surprised us in the past. You know, they've surprised us this season of just going out and really thumping a team when we kind of thought that it'd be a little bit closer or certainly mm-hmm. a score a little bit lower. So I think it's going to be a fun one. All right, real quick. Kansas hosts Texas Tech. Kansas. Even if it was in Lubbock. You play it on the moon, I would take Kansas. <laughs> uh, no, I agree on that one. Uh, Kansas State, Baylor. Uh, K-State. It's, it's, it's up in Manhattan. S- same, that... same situation. You could, you could play it in Alcatraz. I would, I would take K-State. Let's no, yeah, let's play no games out there in Alcatraz. <laughs> uh, 
West Virginia at OU. You got a wounded dog there in OU. Do they uh, do they rebound? They better six six and three West Virginia coming in. Yeah, they better if 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 they if they if they want to keep some coaches on staff. Uh, you know, yeah, you would have you would have some podcasts uh, down in Norman calling for some names, especially after last year. Um, so they. They don't lose too many games in Norman. I mean, you look at UCF, that was a really close game, and then they lose to Kansas and OSU. Hey, Alex Grinch is available if they need a defensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah, man, speed D, Jeez. baby. You know what? Hey, give, give me West Virginia on the road. I could see it happening. I, I think I think uh, OU better win. I think I could see them. I mean, we've you and I, we've watched, uh, we've heard of and watched enough OU football over the years that I think OU wins, but I would not be surprised in the slightest if West Virginia won. I'm going to say West Virginia come back in the fourth quarter. Neil Brown for sure keeps his, it, Let's he, get he, it. hell, he signs a three-year contract. <laughs> he may sign it on the plane <laughs> on the way home. Yeah. All right, this one's going to be an interesting one of two teams who are below 500, but Cincinnati at Houston. Uh, Cincinnati. Ooh, well, Okay. Two and seven Cincinnati going in there and getting the dub. Hell I'll take yeah. Houston. Give me, give me Dana Holgerson. Uh, Texas at TCU. Texas. I think TCU is a disappointment this year. Um, I, and I think Texas is a Texas a really solid. Texas is a really solid football team. Uh, Fort Worth, be damned. I know that you know, you've got senators or Congress people or whoever the politician was talking smack. Uh, the TCU grad talking smack on Texas a couple years back of the, the win loss record between the, the frogs and the horns, but I, it's a different animal this year. I I'd take the horns, man. Give me TCU. Give me TCU in this one. I think, uh, I think Chandler Morris, I think he, they, he puts one together just helps. I don't know if that helps OSU out or not, honestly, because I, the, the team I don't want to face again, I really don't want to face OU again after I all don't the, either. I, after I agree. all this, and not even for who we would have to play on the field, just for all the smack talk that's gone on in the in social media and in, in office complexes yeah, all over. Just let it all be. over Oklahoma. Let it lie. Just let this one be for a while. Let it yeah. li- let it lie. Let it lie. So. Uh, last one: Iowa State out at BYU. Yeah, give me the Cougs. Give me the Cougs. Give me the Cougs. How about this in our in our random. In a random point spread game of the week, Iowa State minus seven and a half. They are a, they're both five and four. They are a seven and a half point favorite on the road. That's wild. That doesn't happen. That makes no sense. It so, does not. I would take, um, I take the Cougs I'll take, though. I'll take the Cyclones for fun. Okay. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. Um, well, that's going to do it for the Poke Sport Podcast. I got to get out of here. Brian, appreciate, uh, appreciate you taking the time. It's, uh, Always nice to get back into the flow of things, and uh, life is is never going to be the same. And in fact, I got to get off here and go help change your poopy diaper. So yeah, a boy. Yeah, baby. Let me tell you. Uh, but that's going to do it for the Pokesport podcast. Uh, be sure to tune in next week. We'll have uh, coverage uh, breakdown of Oklahoma State's game against UCF, and then looking ahead, we have two more games left on the schedule after that one, and we're uh, the clock is ticking. We're we're getting down to the nitty gritty. So, uh, but that's going to do it. We'll talk to you next time here on PokesReport.com.